Hi, my name is Tony. And I'm Chris. And we love pop culture. We often find ourselves discussing film, music, literature, and more, going down the rabbit hole of how everything is connected. We want to share those moments in pop culture that are seemingly unrelated, but connected by just a few links. Welcome to the Pop Culture Connection. So welcome to our first episode of the Pop Culture Connection. Hello. Hello. Chris is here. Um, Something that... Uh, we have wanted to do for some time now. Uh, I'm excited to talk about all things nerdy, geeky, pop culture related. A lot of talking, and that which is good for a podcast. Yeah, I think um, it it's helps. not a lot of mime work. Not yet. Usually uh, doesn't translate well, but yeah, I think uh, interesting thoughts. It's something we do anyway when we're together. It just kind of talk about. Well, then this led to this, and then this event, but then this was referenced later on in this thing, and yes. uh, so why not let everyone, or not everyone, I don't think everyone's going to hear it, but some people who some listen people. to it will hear it. Yes, why not let our egos just get a bit bigger than they already are? And that's that's really what it's all about. It's really what it's all about. I think so. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, so basically... Uh, uh, according to the intro on this paper that I'm looking at here, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about all things pop culture, uh, movies, music, video games, books, art, history, everything, uh, because everything is connected. Um, yeah, a little more in-depth than that, I guess, if you can get in-depth with pop culture, if it's beyond scratching the surface because um, there's hundreds and hundreds of people talking about the same stuff. So how are we different? Well, uh, we're going to dive a little deeper into the interconnectedness, the, the threads that tie them all together. It's a, a holistic yeah. podcast. In a way. It's Dirk, Dirk Gently's holistic podcast. Yeah, it's going to help you uh, in your life figure things out. And, and not just uh, between everything that, that happens or has happened, but our own connection on an emotional level, where we kind of first heard about uh, some of the things we'll, we'll talk about over the course of the episodes, um, attachments to memories that we might have, where it stands now in the, the zeitgeist. So today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about Beach Boys and Golden Girls. Mm, tell me more. Two very, I think, dis- distinct things. Uh, I think you can find some, like you said, surface level connections between uh, those things uh, of a certain generation. Certainly. Probably uh, the medium was aimed at uh, beaches. Beaches were big. And tropical weather mm-hmm. play prominently into both yeah they were a band talking about the beach boys that was all about girls that's true they never specifically mentioned the golden girls but they never didn't mention the golden girls either so as far as we know it could have been all about them yeah that's a that's a good point uh so you're looking at anything, really. You can draw some line between them uh, on some level. But, you know, there's more to it than that. Uh, I think that's the kind of stuff we really like to explore, talk about. Uh, you know, the, the Beach Boys, you know, from me growing up with uh, baby boomer parents, um, I listened to them quite a bit. Uh, my they would have uh, the local oldie station on quite often, so I heard a lot of Beach Boys music. I know was, their music was featured in movies of that time. Oh, yeah. Um, Flight of the Navigator, I oh, believe. Yeah. Was one of them. Another uh, discussion. We're going to have a whole conversation about Flight of the Navigator. Uh, but uh, we were maybe nine or ten when uh, Cocktail came out, so. Kokomo became a big hit. Um, I think that's the age right around where the Beach Boys grab you, where you start to say, okay, 
what's this? What do they got going on? I'm into surfing, or theoretically. I like if, the idea of it. Right. I cannot, and I do not. I can However, and I don't. But vicariously through these guys, I feel like I can, and I am. And that's important. And so that, it was interesting, uh, just decades after their last, you know, their last bigger hit to come out with this, you know, for a movie soundtrack was such a big thing. Uh, and my, you know, my connection with them was really just, uh, you know, through my parents and through that generation and knowing them, they would pop up on Full House here and there. They were the neighbors or something, I think, in one episode. Or you would see them perform a live show on, a, you know, if you got to stay up late somewhere. But uh, we weren't really part of that original generation they were aimed at. That first wave, if you will. Uh, 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 isn't, it, isn't it true that they, um, they weren't really surfers themselves? They just kind of uh, attached to right. that just because it was sweeping the nation at the time yeah they you know kind of adopted that but they really i i don't know if anyone else has captured really the the feel and the the desires of you know teenagers this was you know the first time that the teenage voice is really getting heard in this in the 1960s early 60s and um Especially if you lived in California, if you're a male and your life revolved around girls and cars and surfing, simple time. This was it. I mean, there's you couldn't have gotten any better than that, and I, you know, think that's so cool. Um, You know, obviously, you know, I wouldn't even say it's like a niche type thing because they were popular. Uh, great harmonization sure. that they had uh, on the members um, and they maintained and still do I think they still sell a lot and got a lot of listens and digital screen streaming services so yeah they were their own thing the genre of surf rock which they had some but it's kind of funny because they're not really surf rock um, as we know that genre of music yet right it's not like a, a dick dale or that type of even for the most part uh lyrically though sure but they run the, alongside of that to some degree maybe until they kind of look to differentiate themselves or a few years into that uh i know some of the band members kind of got tired of it specifically brian wilson and wanted to go in a different direction. Yeah, and you, yeah, and that's something that you know. For me, uh, a lot of bands are, you know, a mark of a good, interesting musical group is well, those who kind of change with the times, who will try new things, who will um, experiment with different sounds and don't stick to you know. And some band it works for them. That's who they are. That's they're going to play this, you know, the same songs. ACDC. ACDC is a good example of that. That's who they are, and uh, other bands are like we want to experiment, want to grow, we want to change. Uh, and I definitely think that that the Beach Boys are one of them because they had something that started in the early '60s, a, a Surf in USA, and those hits, and then things like the British Invasion happened. Uh, which completely changed everything. Yeah. Bands kind of a little bit louder, more guitar-oriented kind of sound. Their image was a little rougher. Um, and th- things changed drastically throughout that decade from where it was in the early 60s of just cars and girls and kind of cruising to the late 60s where it was a whole different vibe and a whole uh, opening and awakening of an awareness and still a california sound and still a california sound certainly. it was uh, definitely an epicenter of a lot going on at that time um but you know again the beach boys didn't maintain that that same level they you know they tried different things you look at brian wilson um and you look at something like the album pet sounds landmark album oh and, and it's it's one of those things you might not discover 
if you're not of that generation like we aren't. Uh, it's something you might discover later on in life when you're kind of exploring music from the time. Um, just an amazing all-around, very important album from start to finish. Uh, yeah, Pet Sounds was definitely uh, one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, had just more mature lyrics, uh, more experimental sound palette to it. Um, really a beautiful thing. Or parodied well in uh, Walk Hard. Yes. Uh, get your didgeridoos. And just the way he went about creating that album was maybe you, you think of this guy as just somebody who's a guy in a band and they do songs, but uh, I would hesitate to use divinely inspired, but uh, that's how Brian Wilson describes it when the creation of this album sort of came to him, that he was just seeing um, these these images in his head that were accompanied by this music and uh, it he just had to get it out of his head. Yeah, and that's I, I don't know how often that really happens anymore, if that's a thing. Um, some great bands out there, certainly, you know, there's an independent music scene that is uh, pushing things, trying new things, but you don't, I mean, this was a perfect storm of time and place for them, um, just as it was with other bands who would, uh, later than try concept albums and uh, do different things with music. Yeah, this was kind of in a, in a ways. I know other bands had done it before, but in terms of a, a popular album, that a like you said, a concept album that hadn't really been released on the public yet. And I think it was a direct result of what the Beatles were doing. They had this unspoken little competition across the pond, back and forth. Right. And one would hear the other do a song, and they say, "Oh wow, listen to this. We can uh, we can do something better, or we have to do better than these guys. Well, we can try something, tweak it a little bit, which is which that type of rivalry that's not really a rivalry. It's just right. challenging each other to do something different, something new and fresh, which resulted in some of the best music." Sure, I mean, the to hear them music. tell it, Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, those were inspired by each other. So without the Beach Boys and the Beatles, you wouldn't have either of those albums. Kind of like uh, the Joker creating Batman and the Batman creating the Joker. Yeah. Just, that's I, not what this episode is about. But I created you, you created, created me. Exactly. But they, the Beach Boys continuously still, I mean, they still have a good career. Um, and I think that they'll, they will continue to. I think, you know, their music has been put into national archives. It'll still be used in commercials and films and television shows. Uh, new generations will discover it. And I think that's... Hopefully. That's true. You know, we don't know. There's... It can, can sometimes be an oversaturation of media, and especially with things being instant right now, you know, unless you purposely know about it or seek it out, I don't know if you're going to hear or, or see some of these movies or know of these books. or. Well, if you're somebody who is into vocal music so if you're into singing with a group or, or harmonies i don't see how you could overlook this group because in terms of, of pure harmony it's hard to yeah get better than they are yeah there's not many that do it but you know i lot of, i watch a lot of youtube videos about first time reacting to um and it amazes me what some of these youtubers are reacting to for the first time uh, just how is this the first time that you've encountered some of this stuff? No, that's crazy. Yeah. What but, have you been watching or listening to? Well, I know that my recent obsession is uh, watching people react to The Exorcist for the first time seeing it. It's hilarious every time, uh, especially the dudes who say they're not scared of movies or disturb my movies, and then are holding a pillow tightly. 
they get uh, disturbed about <laughs> halfway through the film. Uh, it just makes me chuckle to myself. They deserve what they get. And what what are you what are you up to other than listening to the Beach Boys and watching Golden Girls? Nothing. That's it. It's been my whole summer. It's a good summer. Mm-hmm. I don't think that. Yeah. So we you know, starting out with the the Beach Boys. There, as I said, uh, in the episode Beach Boys and Golden Girls, uh, another phenomenon, but in a very different way. The Golden Girls, um, on the outer surface, yeah, there's some you can kind of see some similarities, but really there's there's more to it than that. Um, for you know us, the Golden Girls was on you know new episodes. It wasn't in syndicate. It was in syndication, but it was still running live, um, and that was a big deal. Yeah, I didn't think that uh, old women had any sort of social life uh, prior to that. It just, you thought of maybe your teacher or librarian or, or your great aunt as just someone who lived locked away from everybody and didn't do anything but maybe knit or read old Harlequin romance novels. Right, we had no, you know, no way to understand that, at the, especially being kids. Um, and I know that that's, I think that's some of the genius of the creator, creator, Susan Harris. Um, she also did Empty Nest, which is another great show, but about something that we had no frame of reference for, of being a, um, widowed, um, in your, uh, older age with, uh, your kids moving back into your house after they're adults. But it still found, you know, the, the humor in that just because of the great writing and the great perform- performances. Yeah, it must have resonated with a lot of people who felt that, uh, yeah, these, this, these old sassy old ladies do have something to say or there is a, a something at least entertaining here with uh, watching them interact. Yeah, and they just uh, they just had that great combination of of characters too. He had the the dry, really dry wit of Dorothy, uh, Rose's stories about Saint Olaf, Blanche being promiscuous, <laughs> and then uh, someone that reminds me of my own Sicilian grandmother, Sophia, uh, just. Uh, not taking shit from anybody at any time. Uh, a tough old broad. Yes. Uh, so definitely, and then is uh, you know that's that's what I grew grew up on watching that kind of those those shows. Yeah, it was kind of uh, in a way. Obviously, it's a show, but uh, you just thought all these old ladies are like this. They're spunky and full of dry wit, and uh, you know maybe have an active sex life and. It's not quite the case in real life. Obviously, it's a show, but uh, it it did resonate with a lot of people, young and old. And and I think still to this day, uh, you know, it runs on cable. Uh, I see people post about it all the time. People who weren't alive when it was airing, they love it. Um, gets a lot of references and other movies and television shows. Yeah, maybe it's something you come to later when in your life uh, there wasn't those experiences. But later in life, we have this avalanche of media and shows and you just kind of catch it. And now something that's happened to you, like now this resonates. Maybe you're living with your, your sister or your aunt or your neighbor. And now it has a completely new meaning. Whereas before you're just like, yeah, it's just some show about some old ladies. So, you know, it, other than exploring the connections between the items, like we've said, just uh, personal connections to pop culture. I think pop culture is very important uh, throughout with everyone. Everyone is different of what influenced them or they have experience with. So what is your connection to either the Beach Boys or the Golden Girls? Well, the Beach Boys have just been around. I mean... Unless you've lived under a rock, uh, you, you've heard the Beach Boys, whether you know it or not. And so they've just been kind of what I'd call wallpaper music for a while. It's just you've heard them in some capacity and may not even have paid them no mind. 
but uh, so just growing up in America, it's just you have to know that band. Um, and as my musical taste became more self-aware, and then I kind of started parsing it out to like, whoa, here's this band that these guys can really lay it on thick with the harmonies and uh, mm-hmm. their arrangements. And like you said, Pet Sounds. Oh, yeah. That album just start to finish is a landmark album of that era. And didn't come to that till a bit later. But, right. You know, yeah, just growing up, your grandparents were listening to the oldies. And even when we were kids, those were considered oldies at that time. So right. they're just the ultimate oldies band. And then hanging around with, like, my great-grandmother kind of that slew of shows that came out in the 80s that resulted in more women being more prominent and put in more prominent roles in the 70s, things like Maude and right. Mary Tyler Moore, yeah, um, where people are like, yeah, yeah, women can be uh, funny and, and be a showrunner, and it's uh, that's fine. And then in the 80s, you had, like you said, Empty Nest and Designing Women and then the Golden Girls. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown, my... Uh, my great grandmother and my mom would watch those types of show, and it's like, well, we only had one TV, so yep. what am I doing? I'm going to sit here and watch a show. Yeah, and there not- is no tablets or a laptop to go sit in your room and watch. If you wanted to watch TV, you watched whatever was on, and even if you didn't get the jokes. Yeah, I'd say about seventy-five percent were over my head, but you pretend you understood it and uh, you laughed along, and then you go back and watch it again, and then you say, oh yeah, I do get it now. I had some, you know, the brilliant comic timing uh, that they had on that show and other shows of that ilk, like you were talking about. Uh, You know, there's not much really like that anymore. I can understand why uh, the Golden Girls shows like it have still have a big following and still hold up. They were also pretty, you know, progressive from what I remember uh, dealing with issues uh, like um and divorce and things that were taboo topics at that time yeah nothing's taboo anymore but somebody had to tackle those issues you're right and you know it's like you said as far as the beach boys go pretty much similar they're you know they're both were probably geared towards the same age group but we were not in that age group and you know having parents and grandparents who listen to oldie stations being familiar with the Beach Boys, that was my uh, way of understanding them. And it was only later in life when I was getting more into understanding, you know, what the how rock and roll and pop music changed over the decades that um, I was able to really appreciate some of the, the later outings that the Beach Boys did. Sure. But, you know, outside of that, there's, you know, with the, there's a, an image, I think, that the Beach Boys had, uh, you know, we could talk a little bit about what happened with Brian Wilson um, when he kind of fell into a very deep depression, um, had a lot of demons he was dealing with. Being taken advantage of and manipulated by other people. And, uh, you know, not, you know, not knowing if he had an outlet for that anymore. Um, you know, they had this kind of squeaky clean image to them, but there's, you know, all these other signs that you hear about that make you kind of take a second look at it. Um, and I know that one of those is, uh, you know, one of the brother brothers, the Wilson brothers who, you know, formed the Beach Boys, uh, had known and spent time with Charles Manson. Yeah, Dennis Wilson. This is just from what I'm understanding. Uh, Dennis Wilson, you know, obviously spending time out, uh, had successful music career at this point. It's uh, later in the 60s. Um, he's driving in Malibu, and he comes across uh, two girls. Younger. Forever guy. That's, that's how the song got uh-huh. there. There it is. He was living the, the song. He's like, wait a minute. I know this. Uh, two girls that were hitchhiking and uh, picks them up, drops them off at the destination. Wait, what's hitchhiking for those who All right, might not so know. before Uber, and you could just 
pull up your phone and push a couple of buttons and have someone pick you up. Um, if you wanted to be murdered by a vagrant really badly, you could stand on the side of the road and put your thumb out and you never knew what you're going to get. Although we have to say that it, it was an effective form of transportation and most of the time you didn't get murdered or molested. Yeah, it was or just ass, gas, or grass. Yeah, you, you got to point A to wherever you were going, um, but it has since fallen out of favor because of all the, the bad press that it's gotten, and rightly so. Yeah, not really a safe practice, um, but these two youngers, that was we will soon discover um probably not made the best or the most sound choices in their life path uh and he and dennis wilson ended up uh running to, to them again uh later on uh, this time they had a conversation um he talked about his practicing with the maharishi maresh yogi or just the maharishi transcendental uh, meditation yeah um TM. Big figure at the time, uh, Indian guru, uh, especially if you in rock and roll at mm -hmm. that time, that was the big trend. Everyone needed a guru. And it really, you know, it for better or for worse, um, it, it changed things for a lot of musicians and a lot of celebrities. Um, but the young girls also mentioned that they too had a guru of sorts of sorts and his name was charlie whom they lived with on a, a compound oh, he sounds like a nice guy charlie you know there's the name charlie brings up images of glass elevators of chocolate factories it's a um, lot of fun but uh this charlie not not so much not a, as as they say this guy not my kind of guy no. Um, but he, uh, Dennis Wilson ends up meeting Charles Manson. And this, obviously, before we found out what had been going on on this compound. He was just some no-name sort of drifter wannabe right. guru at the time. He was obviously not infamous for what was to come. And I was like, you know, being reportedly very charismatic and having an interest in the entertainment industry you can see how uh, other people around that time who were into counterculture who were into music would share a bond with someone like they met like that who's living a different life who's off the grid there was no grid at the time but um, but he very, was definitely off it. He was off it. The reservation. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, that led to actually Charles Manson uh, recording music with and for uh, Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys. He, he knew them, spent some time um, recording a few songs for them. Um, I do know that there it was a song called Cease to Exist, which is, you know, uplifting sounding uh, charles manson wrote that song and charles manson i don't think i have to check if he, i think he just i think he wrote it um that was uh really those recordings weren't released for some time from my understanding um but when they were reworked that uh song became never learn not to love um uh that that dennis wilson had contributed to um, but it's it's just hard. It's weird to imagine. Probably one of the worst people that we know of, at least within our frame of reference uh, in this world, recorded music with a very popular band of the '60s. Well, it was the '60s, as they say. Uh, you know, the, his his legacy, obviously Charles Manson, has has lived on again for better. Or for worse, you know, I, you know, I think most people, anyone who watches any kind of true crime or reads up on uh, the culture of that era or who's interested in 
uh, things like even though he wasn't a serial killer i think they sometimes lump him in with that yeah. kind of group he doesn't have many peers in his whatever you would call right. him cult leader right um murderous cult leader yeah he's kind of his own thing he's a, he's like uh david s pumpkins it's his own thing and yeah i i would completely agree that there's no one really like that um you don't think of him as fitting in with that group uh but i think it's a kind of fairly well-known little you're at the uh, pub trivia and you kind of know that that uh the whole charles manson and in beach boys recording but you can still find copies of the recordings actually going to be creating a, a playlist on spotify that'll cover uh some of the music on uh, sound samples that we'll discuss on the podcast so i'll leave a link to that in the in the bio but definitely check it out if you want to hear some of those songs yeah later on as uh taste began to change it kind of became in vogue for people to resurrect some of those manson songs and record them so i know guns and roses did the tune one in a million penned by manson and uh by the late 80s nobody really cared and it was, it was kind of back to being cool right that, uh, this guy did this yeah and that's kind of a good example of why we're so disturbing um but I can't, you know, you you get intrigued by that level of of how different someone can be. Of you know, that's a lot of evil in a heart, and it's I can see how people could can kind of glom onto that and find it fascinating, even if it's repulsive. Well, yeah, or even if they're involved and caught up in the middle of it themselves. That's, uh, you know, the, it speaks to also how, you know, at that time we were going through a transition, uh, you know, it might even be what we're going through now is a big transition in youth culture versus the older ways. Oh, sure. Very similar. Yeah, look at some of these TikTok and YouTube guys. I mean, not to say that they're an equivalency of what Manson was doing, but there's just a lot of schlock out there that people follow for reasons unbeknownst to me that uh, is this somebody that you'd really want to to follow and put your faith into. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a little scary, but you can see now that we have a way to get to anyone you want to with just pushing a couple of buttons that there are people who have a platform now. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of differences uh, between it. Um, I only have my lifetime and what I know of the past, but uh, it does seem uh, pretty similar. Uh, the Again, with the younger generations and doing some battle with the older ways. Yeah, we're probably not too far removed here from somebody rising up the ranks and becoming um, a very popular online personality who then goes to do something nefarious in the real world that their legions of followers will support or also become involved in. That's probably right around the corner. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I even was uh, just recently watching a video about... Uh, the Parkland shooter who had uh, created a video describing what he was about to do right before he did it. That might become a more normal thing. And if you have someone who's charismatic enough, who's saying the right words, uh, we've already found out that people <laughs> will believe whatever is put in front of them. If, as long as you have that right combination, um, it's just going to take one person like Manson to come along and it's going to cause a lot of problems, even more so than uh, the QAnon, which yeah. is already bothersome on its own. But you know, it's not all doom and gloom <laughs> here. Well, now I'm sad. Yeah, I don't think we'll leave you like that. Um, the world is ending and everyone is sad 
but you know, obviously Charles Manson became a big part of pop culture. I mean, even now you can find T-shirts, books written about him, movies about him. Well, he was American-made. I mean, yeah. you can't separate American culture um, from the product it produces. No, that's on. And I know that, uh, and I don't know how long that will continue, maybe until, like we said, the next thing comes along. But still, you know, it, especially in that era, if you're thinking about things that happened at that time, in California in particular, you're going you're gonna to talk about it. Um, which kind of goes into... You know what we'll talk about um recent uh the most recent film by quentin tarantino uh, once upon a time in hollywood yeah um so i don't think we've talked about if you've seen it i've seen it okay um oh i've seen it oh i've seen it uh didn't get to it right away but i watched it uh more recently um with uh, my second oldest in the room and he's 12 uh, and oh, he yeah, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Family, family time video I, with some Tarantino. I was not expecting him to sit through that much dialogue and exposition. Uh, he sat through the entire thing, and by the end, uh, he was laughing maniacally. <laughs> well, there uh, was a lot of scenes with Brad Pitt smoking and with his shirt off, so that's what I liked. That was good to see, yeah. Well, that just goes without saying. Um, yeah, I was I was just not expecting that, um, especially because I, he has no idea who Sharon Tate was. Sure, that whole story. Yeah, Did you have yeah. to explain it to him? I told him, him a background? little bit about it, but he was too excited about people being torched with flamethrowers. So, sure. Um, it's something I don't, as a father... Not sure how you likes. Well, some people are evil and they do terrible things. Um, it's not always a good place to like start that conversation. Um, that's kind of reserved for, you know, separating from that as a film and then kind of just like talking about it organically. Now, did he know that this was based on real events, but this was sort of a blending of a fact and an introduction of fiction and that uh, it's a genre becoming more and more done today but uh, not always popular so you take you know how do we know something is real we only know what the previous generation has told us about it so right news reports and then it sort of morphs into its own things when it gets into the hands of writers and directors like Tarantino mm -hmm. where there's this what-if scenario of this terrible thing happened but what if Spoiler alert, uh, it ended differently, and uh, Manson's goons got the wrong house, and they didn't go to Sharon Tate's house. They went to the guy next door, and he happened to have a flamethrower. Right. And, uh, you know, I know the uh, the Disney Plus series Marvel's What If is running right now, but, you know, for past few movies, Tarantino has kind of taken his version of history, this alternate history, um... And kind of said again, what you know, what things, what if things were just a little bit different? And I, I love that idea, this revisionist version of things told through someone who's all about pop culture. Yeah, I mean that's. I would. I mean, it falls within a revisionist line, but he doesn't try to say this is what actually happened. He lets you know right. that, hey, this is just a, a fiction in my mind that I thought would be cool to explore. I know he got kind of uh, lambasted a little bit for his portrayal of Bruce Lee yeah. um, from his from Bruce, uh, Bruce Lee's daughter. Um, and obviously, you know, larger fans. Of Once Bruce again, Lee. this isn't something that really happened. This right. is just... A, a, something that makes for a good scene in a movie. And I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan, mm -hmm. and you have to be able to separate somebody doing something intentionally to damage a character. And Tarantino is a Bruce Lee fan, too. I don't think he did oh, anything no. out of malice. I just thought it was a funny scene. Right. And, you know, like anything, people just get worked up uh, about a lot of stuff that uh, I don't think any intent there was to... 
to make him look bad. It just what if there was this stunt guy who got into it backstage with Lee right. and uh, threw him into a car? Right. What this confrontation um, would he be uh, talking about? How he was the greatest. And I know, you know, you can, I've seen in, in even older interviews and things, Bruce Lee, yeah, he did have that kind of cheeky, yeah, I'm the best, kind of like sure. a Muhammad Ali. Sure, yeah. um, he didn't think he was better than anyone else, and he wasn't trying to say anyone was better or worse. He was like, yeah, I'm Bruce Lee, which was enough. Which he was. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's interesting uh, you know, with things like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, we have, as history goes on, uh, you know, we didn't live through World War II. We didn't live through the slave era United States, um, but at least our parents were around for this time. And we have kind of a, like you said, we, Guns N' Roses, Recording Manson, uh, knowing more about what happened, you know, it's kind of a little bit closer to our time period. Um, and knowing who Sharon Tate was and Roman Polanski, uh, things just really, really cool to see that side of things. Yeah, it's a great movie. I thought uh, that a lot of uh, the the a lot of people saw it and maybe weren't impressed by it in, in comparison to Tarantino's earlier works, and you could. There's something to be said about it, but still, all in all, great movie. Yeah, and so what is your your first connection you think of with early introduction to Quentin Tarantino? Oh, definitely uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I mean, that was right around the time when I just thought a movie was a movie. Yes. You know, I didn't really understand nuance. Mm -hmm. Um in terms of what a film is like i had seen what i thought were cool movies like terminator 2 and you know as a young 10 to 12 year old kid big trouble in little china just fun movies where you understand that there's a plot and uh, a completion and characters and elements but it wasn't until i saw pulp fiction um that i realized this could be this is a whole different thing yeah this it can be done different natural born killers was another one where i said wow you know movies aren't just movies they're a form of art um and very much those directors were very american directors and i i understand that people had harkened back to maybe the french directors and the italian directors it's like the artistic directors but uh as an american those films by those American directors really resonated me resonated with me at a young age. No, absolutely, and I, I think I'm the same way. It was uh, definitely Pulp Fiction was uh, by the time that came out, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs had come out, but it had kind of flown under the radar unless you were big into independent film at that time. Pulp Fiction was the one that blew up. blew up, got him on the map. Um, I remember having a, a Halloween party and having people over in my house when I lived with my parents at the time. And uh, we were going to watch scary movies, but someone was a, had able to get a copy of Pulp Fiction on VHS. They watched that instead, and just like you, it kind of like rebooted my brain as to what movies are and how to tell a story and... Um, and really never experienced anything quite like it at, the, at that time. You know, you learn where his influences were came from and things like that. But yeah, yeah it was a, a new thing. Absolutely. It's a perfect movie. There aren't many perfect movies. That's one of them. Yeah, that's, it definitely it still ranks up there for me as just, you know, there's there's movies that I remember watching. Another one, you'll probably hear me reference a thousand times over if you continue to listen to this is goodfellas um i saw that my uncle had gotten it as soon as it came out on vhs in 1991 maybe um and i didn't know my brain didn't know how to compute it uh it was i thought it was just a really long trailer 
what it feels like. Yeah. And and uh, Pulp Fiction was very similar reaction to me. Um, and then through that, I kind of went back and I watched Reservoir Dogs. And then when uh, Jackie Brown came out, I wanted to see it because I liked the other two. And then so on and so forth of who is this guy? And Yeah, he's consistently put out great films over his career, Tarantino has, but... I don't think you'll ever eclipse the what Pulp Fiction was culturally in that moment and just a watershed moment for modern American cinema. No, absolutely not. Um, and I, I just love that that was a time, and again, something we're not seeing as much. Uh, I think a lot of things that are experimental, that are different, that are independent are going to television now. Mm-hmm. Television is becoming more cinematic now. Um, and the theater and film is reserved for a very specific type of movie. You know, I love the Marvel stuff. I have a lot of yeah, fun with do. that. I love going to see the new Star Wars in the theater. I'll go see Halloween Kills when it comes out. But I do kind of miss going to see an interesting, quirky, independent flick. Yeah. And we have areas... We, around us that we can go see that kind of stuff which is great which i love that people still do but it's not i think it's it's losing steam yes it is it's um you're kind of being outpaced by the big action blockbusters and spielberg was talking about this too where he felt uh, a few years ago he said in an interview where he felt that in a few short years there will be even two different types of theaters you're your big IMAX sort of uh, big budget theaters for these movies, 3D uh, type action movies. That's almost like a thrill ride. And then you're just regular old projector movies, your art house movies. And they won't even really be, it's apples and oranges at that point. Yeah. I I can, I would not be surprised if that, if that ends up happening and that's, you know, it's fine if we can continue the traditions um, you know, I don't like people. Something you learn. <laughs> no. um, going to movies is often uh, a headache. I think people, you know, stay on their phones. They talk during it. They're just rude. You know, to me, going to a movie is an experience. Tuesday matinee. Tuesday matinee. That's when you go. There's about eight other people in yeah. there. Yeah, and that kind of thing is perfect. And I, yeah, I really, you know, so I can appreciate um, what... You know, Quentin Tarantino, you know, Robert Rodriguez, you know, Scorsese still does it. Um, and then there are a slew of other independent yeah, too filmmakers. Many, too many to even That mention. are kind of carrying the tradition, but kind of changing it up a little bit to be more television uh, oriented. I still kind of, you know, have passed the torch a little bit, but... Um, yeah, especially in our age group, Tarantino was the one that, and he captured the late '60s at that time. Sure. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, Did you see where this this interview came out? Where I guess his his mom, Tarantino's mother, yes, was kind of uh, when he was young, and understandably so. Maybe I could see her point of view, but uh, he just had a penchant for wanting to write movie scripts and. The rest of his academic life was suffering, and she sort of put her foot down and sort of said, hey, this little movie writing career of yours is over, and he had vowed from that point forward to just uh, never to give her any sort of compensation for when he became successful. Yeah, just one of those things that I think one paper picked up, and it kind of just got passed around and just... Uh, I did. I did check that out. I thought it was. He's an intense dude, right? And apparently, he pretty much held true to that. Yeah. You know, I could see a little eight-year-old, ten-year-old Quentin just me and <laughs> like, well, I ain't gonna do that. Fuck you. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what he did. And but he's been into movies, obviously, since a young age. He wanted to write, and he even, uh, you know, got into acting. Yeah, when he was younger. So I, um, you know, I know he he worked in a video store. There was 
Um, he wanted to be part of the movie world in any way through writing. You know, he did provide uh, screenplays. Uh, you had mentioned Natural Born Killers. Um, and that was, even though that was directed by someone else. Oh, you know, before he was directing, uh, he had done True Romance. Um, you can tell when a he I know he did punch ups on the rock. Yep. Um and before that though, yeah, he had an early acting gig or acting roles that he did, not many. Um from what I understand from a recent interview, uh he pretty much dressed like Elvis twenty four seven. he got his hair done at a place that specialized in rockabilly haircuts he dressed in the back when he had hair right and just a certain way um so it wasn't a surprise when he got uh, a call for an acting role on an episode of the golden girls is that right yeah uh it was uh i believe season four that this happened um you can find the youtube clips online i'll see if i can link it in the description here um uh, there is an episode where Sophia is getting married. I don't want to spoil it for everyone who hasn't watched through season four yet. It's a big plot twist. Um, she marries the smoke monster. It's the, the, the red wedding. Right. <laughs> really came out of left field. And yeah, uh, there's a little mix up, as there often are in sitcoms. And a group of Elvis impersonators ah. show up to the wedding, and one of which is. Quentin Tarantino. Young Quentin. And so that is how we got from the Beach Boys to the Golden Girls via Charles Manson. Via Charles Manson. And Quentin Tarantino. And again, yeah, those are those connections that we just loved. I really hope that, you know, you, you maybe you think the same way. Maybe you've thought about these things before. Maybe you're not borderline crazy and have never thought about these things but but it's all connected um so we're going to be uh continuing on here we'll do some other topics some other subjects um if a lot you, of ideas if you have any connection to uh, anything uh, related to what we've talked about today the beach boys or charles manson quentin tarantino golden girls uh, please feel free to check out our social media uh, or email popcultureconnection at gmail.com uh, or Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. And I really hope you check out that playlist that we talked about. We want to hear from you. Again, first episode. Uh, we're going to go from here, but we want to talk about your connections too and maybe share them in further episodes. So until then, stay connected.